Oh, hey, Mets fans. Welcome back to Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we are recording this on Friday, April 28th. The Mets won last night against the Washington Nationals, breaking a four-game losing streak. Uh, you know, watching the Mets over the last week has been uh, interesting because the first two-thirds of the West Coast swing looked really, really good. And then even the last two games in San Francisco, they, they got outscored, but they were still hitting. But against the Nationals, things kind of went dead for a couple of games. You know, we do a sort of vibe check at the start of the show. How are you feeling about the Mets today coming off of that four-game losing streak? I'd say a little bit mixed. It, it What really bummed me out about the end of the West Coast trip was just that they uh, had the opportunity there winning the first two games in San Francisco to – just win one more. Uh, you really can't complain with a seven and three trip overall, even if two of the teams are inferior competition. And and it, honestly, right now the Dodgers look inferior. Yeah, to the Mets as well. Uh, but you, you can't complain about that too much. But man, eight and two. I mean, nine and one was also possible. But you take the first two in San Francisco, and, and you, you start thinking they're going to win another series. Uh, eight and two road trip. That would be really nice. And uh, to, to kind of fumble a little bit there at the end w- was a bit of a downer, but uh, those things can happen. Uh, whatever, you know, it, that I wasn't too negative on Monday morning. Uh, two losses to the nationals in their current state. That's a little bit of a different story. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Keith Hernandez talked a lot, in the uh, series opener about sort of the big adjustment. You're out West for uh, 10 days. It may have even been like 11 days. They took a red eye back on Sunday night. And that was, that was something that I'm sure professional sports teams have a lot more information on sleep and time zone adjustment and rest and what works best and what, what doesn't. Um, I'll just say that as a very much not professional athlete. If I had to play a baseball game, <laughs> I, I, I'd rather not have one night be on the, a plane. Like I'd rather have stayed in San Francisco and then flown out in the morning. You still have the time zone adjustment, but I essentially sleep in a bed, right? Two nights in a row. Uh, it's not something I had thought about too much until this particular. West Coast West Coast trip came to an end just because Keith talked about it so much on the broadcast. But you, you drop the series opener, and it's like okay, whatever. But when the the second game, when it looked just as bad as the first, it was kind of like ooh, all right. <laughs> you know that, that first game you saw Lindor and Guillaume both make stupid plays, and yep. those are two guys who almost never make stupid plays. Uh, Guillaume breaking the wrong way on that ground ball. Lindor fielding a ball that could have been at least one out, maybe a double play, but he fields it on the right side of second base and then doesn't just go to the back to get the force, tries to apply a tag, drops the ball while he's trying to make the tag. Like Those kind of things looked like a team that was tired. Uh, But yeah, at least they didn't get swept. And uh, I just hate that now that they've lost two series so far this year and yep. the Brewers, whatever, you know, that that's a team that's competitive right now. Uh, but the Nationals are not. And 
it, it's just annoying. So overall, mixed vibes. Uh, it's hard to be too depressed, uh, given the opportunity to see Justin Verlander pitch in person today in a rehab start. <laughs> yeah, way to rub that in. Um, <laughs> I have to. I, I know. I, I know. <laughs> it is your constitutional right to do so. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's a. Um, I think a mixed bag is a, is a good way to, uh, to to sort of talk about this. My my big issue that I have with the last four games or the four games before the victory last night was just the last couple of seasons. It seemed like the Mets team has had this. I don't want to call it an extra gear necessarily, but it just seemed like maybe maybe this is more indicative of the few years that that happened before it. It seemed like from from like twenty sixteen to twenty twenty or so, if the Mets gave up two runs in the first inning, the team just deflated, and it seemed like they could not possibly come back from a two zero deficit. And then the last couple of seasons, it just seemed like deficits like that didn't mean so much i mean we can go to the extreme examples of like that game in philadelphia when they came back and things scored was it nine runs in the bottom of the, whatever that crazy game was right like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know like i'm not even talking about that i'm just talking about not being out of it as soon as they seemed down and it seemed yeah. like both tuesday and wednesday they just seemed like as soon as there was a run on the board the mood of the place was like well fuck it i guess we lost the game you know, and I just hate watching baseball games where the team doesn't feel like they are giving it a co- the old college try. And that's, that, that is not blaming any particular person. It's just that's sort of the feeling that the team gives off sometimes when they're when they're down. And so that was my biggest takeaway from the two the first two games against Washington. Whereas like last night, even though they blew a huge lead, I even after Brooks really gave up that grand slam, I sort of felt like. Well, they're playing well today. They can come back and win this, and they did, right? You know, you just I. So that was, to me, that was the even more than winning. Just the idea that yesterday's game never felt like it totally got away from them. That was the bigger takeaway for me. Um, yeah, I just hate watching listless baseball. Yeah. So uh, this might become a weekly segment. Uh, what am I going to blame the pitch clock for? <laughs> <laughs> so I am curious to see. Whether or not uh, teams that score first fare better in the pitch clock era than they did previously. And the month of April is nowhere near enough information to make any conclusions about that. But as someone who is not fully adjusting to this rule, uh, it has crossed my mind that that feeling of, of, oh man, like they gave up runs, a comeback feels out of the question, that kind of a thing. Uh, to me, if I'm if I'm down as a team and looking to work the opposing pitcher and and get back in the game and try to find a way to score some runs and make it close enough that the other team's got to sweat a little bit, uh, rushing would not be what I'd want to do as I tried to accomplish that task. So. Um, this might be total nonsense. I could be proven wrong uh, over the course of this season, but I am just curious if comebacks are a little less common uh, because the game's moving along so quickly that all of a sudden, all right, you're down two nothing in the second, and here we are, forty five minutes later, and now it's the sixth. Um, 
See, it's so funny that you say that because I've had the exact opposite thought about it. <laughs> Whereas I have because because the in, the total inability to control the stolen base that has come from the pitch clock to me, like so, you know, think back a year ago, the Mets are down to uh, bottom of the seventh inning. Someone gets on base with a walk. The you know the old school baseball mentality is you got to bunt them over to second base or have them steal second to put them in scoring position. And there would always be a thousand throwovers and all of that. And now it's just, I feel like if it's someone with some speed gets on first base, they're stealing second base. It's happened so much this season already. And so I feel like if it's a small lead, it's not at all safe because of the stolen base being such a bigger part of the game right now. Yeah, um, no, no, that, that, that is a fair argument, but it's the getting the guy on base part <laughs> sure yes yes agreed. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and also i feel like this mets team in particular so like in, in the general sense maybe your point outweighs the thoughts that i'm having uh but i feel like the mets are not very well equipped to take advantage of this that's probably true um, um where do they rank uh, they're ninth in baseball and still in bases that surprised me uh just looking that up right now uh huh. Oh, no, I, I, I would have guessed lower. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I you know I <laughs> I think the pitch clock is is uh is not not a part of this, right? It is a part of it. To me, it's just a question of how much of a part of it is. Uh, right. You know. Um. But yeah, it's uh, it was definitely a weird week. One of the highlights of the weird week was the reemergence of Joey Lucchese. Now, he looked human last night, but for his debut in San Francisco, he marked the first Mets starting pitcher to throw a pitch in the seventh inning. He completed the seventh inning. He threw a shutout. He looked absolutely dominant. And uh, I think that, you know, all of us like to dream on starts like that, but no one really thought that that was going to be who Joey Lucchese was going to be for the rest of the season. But. We now have two starts under the belt, and he went 12 and a third innings over those two starts, and uh, that is about as good as you're going to get from the Mets this season. The pitchers have not been going deep at all. And, you know, I've always liked the Churve as just a, a pitch that batters don't see that often, so it keeps them off, you know, kind of on their toes a little bit. But last, especially the start in San Francisco, he was spotting his fastball like perfectly. And right. if you can have that sort of control with your – fastball and then throw a weird off-speed pitch on top of that man that is a really fun combination and um i'm curious as to well let, let's talk lucchese before i ask the next question what did you think of lucchese's two starts uh so i did not get to see the second one so all i can do is scout the uh box score and uh, if you look at that, that's totally fine. Uh, obviously, you'd like to not allow any runs to the Nationals, but he pitched better than the relievers who came in after him. That's for yes, sure. Absolutely. And uh, and yeah, no, his that first start back, he just he looked really sharp. Um, and not that real life baseball is fantasy baseball, and not that I'm advocating that people pick him up now <laughs> in fantasy baseball. Right. But there was a point not that long ago where Joey Lucchese was like a hot fantasy pickup. Because yeah. he had, you know, put together a nice stretch um, of a month or two. And, you know, we've seen that 
many times before. Dylan G put up like a calendar year. We had a sub three ERA over the course of parts of two seasons. You know, strange things happen. But Lucchese has had some major league success. And and by no means do I think uh, any of this indicates that he's going to be a you know third, second starter type, uh, even in a rotation that didn't have Scherzer and Verlander at the top. But um, it was just really nice to see, you know, to go two full years almost between major league appearances um, to come into spring training in in pretty good shape. And uh, if he had been on many other teams in baseball, he would have made an opening day roster. Mm -hmm. So to, you know, to go through all that, start the year in Syracuse, uh, just do what you got to do and, and make your way back. It's, it's very easy to to root for that kind of pitcher. Um, and what a what a relief it is for this team right now. I, it, hopefully, everything goes smoothly with Verlander today, and his next start is in the Mets rotation. You know, Scherzer is set to come back on Monday as long as weather doesn't screw that up. Um, you know, we saw updates on Carlos Carrasco that he threw a bullpen yesterday and he's uh, feeling pretty good so far and all that. So, you know, it's not that hard to imagine the rotation getting pieced back together, but if those things all do happen in the next week or two, uh, David Peterson would be the first person I'd send back to Syracuse without hesitation. Agreed. Um, I mean, barring an excellent start against the Braves tonight. Oh uh, yeah, uh, no. I might send Budo down first. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was I was wholeheartedly agreeing with you. Then I realized Jose Buto is still on the team. Right, right, right. Yeah, that ha- that move hasn't happened yet. I he guess Budo is just presumed to be. <laughs> yeah, he, he has to make another start this weekend against the Braves. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, no. Personally, as much as it would not be ideal to not have Scherzer pitch that Monday game. Uh, I'm rooting for multiple rainouts. I'd rather postpone all of this against them. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it's a good thing Braves fans don't like listen to our podcast because they they're probably like be 500 comments on the posts of them saying that we're afraid of them or whatever. Like like it's our like we're on the team. You right. know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Peterson would be the first one I'd send down after Budo. Mm-hmm. And it, the Lucchese has jumped instantly over those two, and and maybe even McGill. Um, not that the rotation is going to be healthy enough anytime soon for all three of those pitchers to be sent down. Right. If we're getting Verlander and Scherzer back this week, who were the first two casualties? I, I guess we both feel like it's Budo and Peterson, right? Yeah. I, just objectively, Budo, I, I feel like, has gotten away with it. You cannot walk guys like he's walked them in the big leagues and escape with – what's his ERA right now? It, it's way lower than it should be. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, I want to say he walked six in under five innings last start. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. His, his walk rate <laughs> – he struck out 2.79 per nine, and he's walked 9.31, and he has a – and he has a 2.79 ERA. Yeah. And a 7.18 FIP. Yeah, there um, we go. <laughs> you know, there are times that pitchers are 
bucking the trend and defying their underlying metrics and you know whether you prefer FIP or some other variant uh, either at Fangraphs or base, Baseball Prospectus or, or wherever you see those guys who just pitch better than what the suggested numbers right. say um, or I even StatCast right with, with expected stats that are there now um, this is not a case of that you cannot do this and <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah so yeah he's he's got to go i mean if you get carrasco and verlander back and then obviously scherzer is slated to come back from his suspension um then you can fill the rotation with those three and and you could have a scenario where it's scherzer verlander senga lucchese and carrasco as your five and then all of those pitchers who started the year in Syracuse would be back there uh, relatively soon. But I think I have more confidence in McGill than Carrasco right now. Yeah, I, I feel like Carrasco is going to get the nod because uh, he's a veteran, and I feel like Buck's the type of guy who really values that veteran leadership, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I would also think that Carrasco maybe should get like two or three rehab starts. Just yeah. to see what, just you know, Verlander is getting one, and we'll be back. Um, you know, it just makes sense to to give Carrasco a couple and to see where he stands. Um, right, but, just see how the elbow feels and yeah. whether or not it's he's effective. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Lucchese gets sent down and they keep McGill or Peterson up. But to me, that's the wrong move. We talked about this last time. Like, you know, I think that while it is nice to see Lucchese improving, you kind of know who that pitcher is. And I right. think both both McGill and Peterson, we don't quite know who they are yet. We have, a, we have an idea of who they are, but we don't really know yet. So I would still want to give them a little more seasoning to figure out who they are. Um, I mean, to be fair, I think that both of them are, are maybe 80 to 85% of the way to who we to who they're going to be right but that last 20 percent is oftentimes the big difference maker right like peter's uh, dave for uh, amazing avenue wrote a great piece about how uh peterson's slider has not been used as effectively uh they have been calling the slider in effective situations for him and so maybe you go down to triple a and you just really work on the slider because you if, if peterson doesn't have a slider he's not a big league pitcher uh, right. He needs that pitch. So maybe you just go in there, you just have him throw all sliders for a couple of starts or, or, or you know, majority sliders. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, you, 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 you can do that. With McGill, you can work on some stuff down there. Just, yeah. I also feel like Lucchese is just, he's left handed. He brings something different. You keep him in the rotation until he, shows you he shouldn't be there right yeah yeah no that that's uh that's totally fair uh, so let's hope we have i mean it's not really a problem but this just this scenario plays out and that everybody's available and you can shift them around accordingly um I mean, if you really wanted to keep one of the other guys up you could move lucchese into that long relief role or 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 try to uh, you know, get him a three or four inning appearance every turn through the rotation and then switch to the six man rotation during the busier stretches as they intended to do uh, 
before the season started. So there's ways to work everybody into all this. Uh, and there was talk start at the start of the season about having a um, a six man rotation for at least a chunk of the year, right? So, right. Well, yeah. No, I think it was Tim Britton who wrote the piece detailing you know uh, specific parts of the schedule where there are lots of games, no no off days. Um, you know that they would deploy a six man rotation, uh, you know, in a targeted way, right. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I, given how I don't want to say frail, but uh, get, given how not a hundred percent healthy everybody's been, yeah. <laughs> um, it might make sense to just do that on a permanent basis and and have guys adjust. Uh, because as we keep saying, it, it's really about getting to late September, early October, and being geared up for a playoff run. Because as much as a four game losing streak to two bad teams sucked between the last show we recorded and this one, the Mets are still 15 and 11. It's a yep. 93 win pace. Um, that alone is enough to get into the playoffs. Obviously we expect a little bit better out of them than that, but to be like, Oh man, things are kind of rough. Only a 93 win pace instead of like a hundred or, <laughs> right. or more, um, which we got very spoiled by last year. I think at the, it was like the middle of May. They got on a pace for a hundred, three wins and then basically sat on it all season and then yeah. faltered a tiny bit and finished with one Oh one. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, I, I think things are going to be okay, but it would be <laughs> nice to see some dominance. And and obviously if they play all four games against the Braves and don't win any, um, you know, panic city will have uh, uh, panic city. will need to build some new housing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I just want to also note it was nice to see both Lindor and Alonzo break out of their little mini slumps last night and driving some runs. Um, yeah, these things are going to happen. Again, Like if this was, if they were coming off of the West Coast road trip and playing a good team and they took one out of three, I think we'd have a very different feeling than taking two out of three to the goddamn Nationals. Yeah. A very bad baseball team. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, what is your music pick for this week before you hit the road to go see Justin Verlander? Uh, yes. So I know usually I'm I'm one. Uh, I've, I've made some older album picks from time to time, and I love old music, but I've uh, kind of made a point to try to keep recommending new things as much as possible as we do this on the show. But uh, I'm going to reach back to 1969, a good year for the Mets. Uh, and, and an album that I love from Frank Zappa. I cannot claim to be the uh, Zappa expert. It's quite a discography. Yes, and it is. Obvi- obviously, there's there's other albums that I know. Uh, but Hot Rats, to me, is the one that I reach for to just throw on. Uh, it's also the only one that has Captain Beefheart on vocals for a song. Uh, the second track, Willie the Pimp. Uh, not the only one that could be part on vocals. Oh, okay. So see, I told you I'm not the Zappa expert. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the other one? Uh, there, there's, there, they, they did a whole album together. Um, oh, hang on a second. Keep talking. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Okay, okay. I thought, for some reason, I thought that like that didn't happen, and the only thing that came out was the, was this track. No, there's <laughs> a um, there's a whole album that they did. It's It's, you know... Like so many of the Zappa albums, it's like a half live, half su- Bongo Fury. Uh, is okay. the name of the record? Um, yeah, it has like a Muffin Man, and uh, yeah, that's a great album. You should, if you if you like 
yeah, you should check out Bongo Fury for sure. Okay. The live album with studio elements. Yes. According to Wikipedia. Right on. So despite my lack of expertise, uh, (laughs) I love the way this record opens. Uh, So Willie the Pimp with Captain Beefheart on vocals is the second song. Um, And there's several songs on this record that are nine to 13 minutes long. Uh, And and I, I mean that in the best possible way. But the opener is a quick song called Peaches and Regalia. And I just love the intro to it. Yes. It's just, I, I don't know, man. It, it's up there in terms of like best album intros because it's not, it's not meant to be funny necessarily. It's not like laugh out loud funny. It's just like, man, you're starting an album this way. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a thing to it that I, I love. Um, you know, it, it it's the more experimental side of rock version of like how Slayer opens a metal record to me. Like, like it's just <laughs> sure. like I, in seconds we've established what we're going to do here. And, and then we spend the rest of, you know, 43 minutes uh, going down that path, but like, you know what you're in for. It's really good. Uh, if you, think you might run into Keith Hernandez and haven't listened to any Frank Zappa, you, you might as well listen to this record. <laughs> uh, so you have some material to talk to him about. Yeah, I, I am a Zappa fan. Uh, I come from a fan. My, my dad was a Zappa fan. I have an uncle who's a big Zappa fan. So I, I, I do not have a, a, a masterful hold on his discography either, but I do love Zappa. And this is a very appropriate pick. Do you know why this is so appropriate? Uh is hot or rat in the album that you're choosing no no but um they just (laughs) found 23 tracks that were supposed to be a sequel to this Uh, that was coming out june 30th um as a new record okay so yeah basically with the same band um yeah yeah so So the things the things i'm very glad i picked this i've learned (laughs) <laughs> more than I've, I've i haven't given as much knowledge as i've taken out of this uh this episode but that's okay that's not true no it's just like I, like I said uh i went through a zappa phase for a while like for me hot rats to um like 75 or so it's like a six-year span that that's that is the only zappa i need in my life i like i like stuff from before and after but that is like that is the really good stuff in there um yeah yeah, yeah hot rats is a fantastic pick fantastic well well, thanks uh i am also going to throw back to uh an older album uh and an album that i i I think you're familiar i know you're familiar with at least some songs by this band i don't know if you know this album necessarily but i'm going with the uh album number one record by big star so um big star is a band from memphis tennessee this record came out 1972 um led by alex chilton who had got his start in a band called The Box Tops. You all know the song The Letter, whether you know it or not. You, whether you know the name or not, you know the song The Letter. Um, and uh, But Big Star was sort of his like power pop, Beatles-inspired thing. It was him and another uh, songwriter named Chris Bell and uh, Andy Hummel on bass, Jody Stevens on drums. But the, the four of them set out to write like a classic it's weird to call it a classic rock because they were in like the classic rock era, right? But like a very, um, a very traditional like song based 
power pop record. Um, and Big Star is one of those bands like the Velvet Underground where they didn't sell a ton of copies, but everyone who bought a record probably started a band. Like there was a song by the replacements called Alex Chilton that is about, you know, Big Star. Um, uh, REM are huge, huge fans of, uh, of Big Star. You know, there's just all these really important bands were influenced by them. Um, the the average person knows one of their songs, whether they know it or not. It, it, they actually know a cover of it. Cheap Trick covered their song In the Street for the theme song to that 70s show. So if you've ever watched that show, you've heard a Big Star song. Uh, their song 13 off of this is uh, a, a beautiful like ballad about being young and in love. And many people know that song as well. Uh, the Ballad of El Goodo is my favorite song on the record. Uh, it's track two. Just a really nice ballad. Um, just amazing guitar sounds on this album. Uh, this was produced by, I believe, was it Jim? D no, it's uh, John Fry. They Their next stuff would have been produced by Jim Dickinson, whose uh, kids were in, oh, uh, what band is that? I don't know. Memphis people are mad at me right now, but a <laughs> lot, lot of Memphis stuff uh, here. But just, yeah, uh, released on Stax Records. Just a, a really, really, especially as the weather is getting nicer, this is like a fantastic throw it on and sit on the deck and have a beer type album. Um, yeah, if you like melody, you will like Big Star. <laughs> That's my bold my bold take for this week. For this week, nice. Um, I can't I can't claim to be uh, an expert on the discography, but I did get to see Big Star at Little Stevens Underground Garage Festival on oh, Randall's nice. Island back in two thousand four. Um, so that was pretty cool, and I've heard Wilco cover uh big star on at least two occasions i've heard them do thank you friends before yeah actually maybe three but either way they they've you know wilco is is among the many bands that look up to them um yeah. so yeah uh, yeah it's a good pick maybe that's what i'll throw on as i go to watch uh the big star mr verlander there we go uh, it would be a real cognitive dissonance road trip if you shuffled hot rats and number one record <laughs> you know, two two albums i love but uh two great tastes that maybe don't taste great together <laughs> um anyway uh thank you for listening folks we appreciate it as always go to patreon.com slash hormone applesauce to support these podcasts directly uh you can follow chris on twitter at chris mcshane i'm on twitter at brian needs an app and until next time let's go mets